Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and each week on the show, I enthusiastically bring you the latest in wellness, happiness, and practical things you can do to shift your own health and well-being. I love reading science. Every week I read or browse around a thousand scientific articles. I look at abstracts, I look at evidence, and it's so interesting as we're building up really complete picture now in science of the effect of the stress reduction tools in the human body. You know, I talk a lot about epigenetics in some of my books and about the epigenetic effects of things like EFT tapping, meditation, time in nature, and just time in nature alone can shift a whole bunch of genes. Laughter, just laughing, has been shown to shift 36 genes. Babies laugh about 150 times a day. Adults, guess how many times a day they laugh. You would be really disappointed to hear that the answer is six. Babies laugh 150 times a day. Adults laugh six times a day. And if that isn't a tragic number, what is? I mean, who told people when they turn 21 that, okay, now you have to laugh 96% of the time less. So that study was really a, a mind, mind-bending one. And people often aren't claiming the joy that can be theirs. So my goal at High Energy Health is to share the, the science with you and encourage you to use these practices, grounding, time in nature, EFT, meditation, mindfulness, self-hypnosis, affirmations, all these things that can make a real difference in your life, epigenetically, emotionally, physically, and in terms of your longevity. And again, we're building up all this evidence now showing these things are incredibly effective. So I urge you to listen, share with us, and take action to apply these things in your own life. My guest today is Naz Beheshti. She's the author of the new book, Pause, Breathe, Choose, with the subtitle, Become the CEO of Your Well-Being. She has an executive wellness coach, speaker. She contributes to Ford's magazine. And she's also worked with many high-profile clients, including Nike, JP Morgan Chase, Omega, and Stanford. She also is focused on humanitarian ventures like alleviating the suffering of children in Haiti. Naz, it is such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Dawson. It's a joy. And I love the title of your book because just right there, you're, you're inspiring us to take that mindful moment. As I watched a couple of your videos online earlier, I was so struck by that ability just to intervene between the stimulus and the response, that moment of choice is so powerful. Absolutely, because if we're not mindful before we make a choice, if we're not present, we could just be stuck in autopilot and not be making the best choice for ourselves. So when we're mindful to take a pause and just take that conscious breath, we're better equipped to make a better choice. 
What uh, inspired you to really notice that and then start to apply that in your own life? It's a great question. It, it was really, it evolved over time when I found myself stuck on autopilot and just not really thriving. I was, something was missing and I was wearing out the snooze button every morning, just dragging, <laughs> <laughs> just dragging myself uh, out of bed, you know, and mm. I just, I wasn't present and I wasn't thriving. And so for me to realize that I need to really take a step back and follow my heart, my intuition and pursue what I'm really passionate about. So, so many different things led to that, which was, you know, my yoga practice, my meditation practice and being in corporate America for over a decade and having great jobs, you know, temporarily, but then feeling that, you know, unfulfillment after a while, after the, you know, um, novelty of the new job wore off. So my yoga practice was my movie meditation. And then my meditation was my seated, more formal meditation. But I learned that how I felt on my yoga mat, how I felt on my meditation cushion was, was a shame to just leave at those places. I wanted to carry that mindfulness, that feeling all day and create a mindfulness in action type of method, which to me is pause, breathe, choose. I mean, that is mindfulness in action. Yeah. And I know when we do EEG studies, our objective isn't to train people to reach those states in meditation or in yoga, whatever their practice is. The goal is to be able to achieve those states eyes open in the real world doing what you do. And so that ability to carry that forward into everyday life is, is so powerful. And a wonderful researcher at, at Harvard, Teresa Amabile, she has shown that you reach those elevated states in meditation or in, in yoga or in your mindfulness practice in the morning. And the effects in terms of brain function persist 48 hours. So they really do start to then become part of your everyday life. And I love the way you're focusing on bringing that into not just that spiritual practice, but also into everyday life. Absolutely. And I completely can agree with that study because just by personal experience, my non-negotiable every morning, I have a routine, which is first thing that I wake up, RPM method squared. I wake up, I meditate and I move my body every single morning meditate for 20 minutes. And then I move anywhere from five minutes, depending on how much time I have to, you know, 45, 50 minutes. And I feel that that is carried through the rest of the day. And it's all about that consistency so that you really feel it throughout the day. So just humor me over here, Naz, about a pet peeve of mine. And that is that it drives me nuts. Like I'll be at a men's retreat soon. And I know I'll watch those guys. They'll wake up in the morning and they will just blindly grope on their bedside table for their cell phone. And they will look at it first thing in the morning. And what I just beg people is don't do that. Don't let all those influences from outside impinge on your consciousness and shape your awareness first thing in the morning. For goodness sake, tune into the universe and the non-local love and connection and wisdom there is out there. And then move into your cell phone and your email and your social media and all those other things. But, you know, people have an addictive tendency to do that. And I almost scream and yell at people sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Don't do that yourself. <laughs> right. And so many people do that. I know it is, um, you know, very irritating, but the thing is, is that the way I frame it for people to kind of break that bad habit is try taking empowered action to take control over your day. When you are reaching for your cell phone first thing in the morning, you are no longer in control because you are checking your email, you know, checking the news, and then you're just reacting to what you're seeing, what you're reading. You're no longer in control of like, I have planned to do my meditation. I have planned to start my day this way because maybe you get an urgent email that you need to act on right away. And then your day has just taken off without you basically. So for me, when I wake up, if anything breaks my routine of my RPM squared method, Sometimes I, I don't end up going back to it, which is why I don't let anything interrupt me. Even if it's a call, like I won't pick it up. I won't check my email because I know that I'll be tempted. If we have this addiction, let's not tempt ourselves. And when we check the phone, we're tempting ourselves. So I just don't even go there. I do what I want to do first. That's taking empowered and aligned action with how I want to start my day. And then I start my work day by checking the email and starting my meetings. Yeah. And so I want to underline for those of you who are listening, what Nas is talking about here. Nas is talking about rigor. If you watch a master, they don't go off and do things other than focus on their alignment with the universe, their spiritual practice first thing in the morning. They are what Nas is rigorous about making that a priority. Is there an urgent phone call? Believe me. It'll be waiting for you there in an hour. Maybe there's an urgent email. Maybe there's an urgent text. It can wait. So what we're talking about here, what she and I are now encouraging you to do is don't be wishy-washy about that. My dear friend, Jack Canfield has this wonderful saying, part of his book, The Success Principles. He said, 100% commitment is a breeze. It's easy. 99% commitment is a bitch. It's hard if you're having an internal debate. So I'm just underlining this, Nas, that you just are so clear about where you're going every day. That's going to take you there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I love that quote too. 100% is so much easier than 99% because it's non-negotiable. There's no way or reason or excuse to like debate what you're going to do. It's just go, you got to do it, <laughs> you know? And then the subtitle of your book is being CEO of your well-being. And then you are in control. You're the driver's, side, seat, in the driver's seat. You are deciding your own well-being, setting yourself on that path clearly. And you're taking control, not handing over control to all the random messages out there in the world. So yeah, powerful, powerful way to start. And I'm curious what you do next, because I know, Personally, for me, I have a lot of trouble transitioning from meditation after an, I, I meditate for about an hour, sometimes two hours. But now as for me, then going and sitting in a team meeting and managing people is, is kind of painful. I can see why I can see why those old monks used to flee to the d desert or go live in the monastery or the cloister or someplace. How do you make that transition yourself? Well, I don't actually go from meditation to my meetings. I actually move my body. I roll up my yoga mat and I do a flow, any, you know, a combination between yoga and Pilates or bar with some weights. So I move and then I shower and then, so that's kind of my transition. So movement, shower, and then that's my morning routine transitioning into like, then I'm ready. I'm ready to hit the ground running. And my mindset is very clear and focused on what I need to do. And I'm energized and I'm happy that I stuck with my routine. So I feel very like grounded and focused. And so I don't have a hard time transitioning really. 
I'm going to borrow that idea from you. Starting tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> uh, yeah, exercise right afterwards rather than trying to transition to all the, the stuff of life and regular things. Wow, that's a great idea. Thank you. I think, I think I've, I've heard of it from other people too, but I'm going to actually apply it now. So again, you're hearing this from Nas. Now the time has come to apply it. So share with us about this whole idea of the pause and why the pause in response to the stimulus is so important. Well, if we don't pause and we're just going continuously without actually pausing, the pause enables you to become, have an opportunity to take a mindful breath to become present. If we're not pausing, we might be in the past, we might be in the future, we're not necessarily connected, our mind and heart may not be aligned. So we want to pause to like reconnect and that breath is a prompt to reconnect with the present moment. Yeah, that breath is a pause to, to reconnect with the present moment. And we're doing it all the time anyway, 23,000 times a day. And so any one of those can be your, your entry point into to being in the present. It's also interesting, interesting to see what, what happens to the brain when you do that, because when you do take that pause and you focus on your breathing, you not only come into the present in terms of attention, but also the parts of the brain that deal with the future and with the past actually dial down. Mm -hmm. So you're actually doing that neurologically in terms of brain function as well. So the pause is what is the start of your point of leverage, focusing on your breath. What happens next? Well, once we are, like I said, breathing consciously, because you said, I mean, we're all breathing all day long, but are we always conscious of our breath? No. I mean, we're just, it's keeping us alive. And I feel like we take advantage of that breath until we're like, exercising heavily and we're trying to catch our breath or we're on our last breath and dying. I mean, then we realize, oh, I just, our breath is so critical to our existence. But other than that, we're just, you know, breathing unconsciously. So bringing that awareness to the breath then allows you to make the better choice, a mindful choice of what, how to proceed. Because if, again, we're not taking that pause in the breath, we are just default to our autopilot decision, like not even think about it and not perhaps make the best choice for us. And Life is really all about the choices that we make, right? We have so many opportunities to make choices every day. They say about 35,000 opportunities to make choices. So we have many, many options and, and choices that we can make. And so when we make mindful ones, we make better choices. And that increases the quality of our life. And that's when we can be the CEO of our well-being. What about when you feel as though you have to make a choice and there really aren't any good options? So sometimes, of course, there are already easy choices and it's no, not really difficult to decide between two options. Mm -hmm. Other times, there are really complex choices. I know in, in one of my books, I look at the, uh, there's a DARPA study showing that people in these elevated states, their ability to make complex, really solve complicated problems goes up by 490%. Mm -hmm. And so we're much better at making those those choices. But what, what happens when you're faced with, not, it's not, not black and white, it's a really murky choice. And, and you don't know which option to pick. What, how can mindfulness help you there? Well, that's then when I, I actually, that must be like a bigger, more important choice, right? So then I'm very methodical about it. And I actually, you know, think about what is the upside of this choice versus this choice and kind of weigh out the options, right? Because then you don't want to just make a, a quick choice. You want to weigh out the options. So that differentiates like a bigger option with, you know, consequences versus like, 
what am I going to eat today? I mean, yes, what you you choose to eat is also going to, you know, have consequences to your energy levels and your health and all that. But what you're talking about, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, is something that is not so black and white and so clear. And so you need to kind of weigh out those options. And if you, if it, again, once you weigh out those options, it's not so clear, just tap into your intuition and take more breaths and think about, what would be the best choice for me at this moment there at that point it's not like right or wrong it's you know it's a, a toss-up it's like what can i do at this moment that would best serve me right and you can always self-correct if that doesn't work then you know self-correct later you know but try it out take that explorative action better to make the choice and to just you know do nothing right and what's, what's a time in your life when you've been on the horns of a dilemma like that and you've had to wrestle with something that was unclear or difficult? Well, uh, well, there's lots of times from like deciding whether I should, you know, move across the country. I lived in San Francisco and I thought, you know, should I move to New York City for a year, try it out? I was trying to take explorative action as I talk about in my book. So I actually put that, it, that wasn't, you know, black or white, like that was my choice. And I had to tap into what would be right for me at that time. And I actually made some kind of decisions in my mind that like, okay, if I find a place within this two block radius of this neighborhood that I love <laughs> in cool. this amount of time, yeah. that's a sign. Like that means I'm going to do it. Or I make some certain things in my head that to like, give me signs. Like, is this going to be the correct way to move forward for me? And when the signs appear, I'm like, that's a sign. I'm going to do it. <laughs> you know, if I don't feel, see a sign, maybe I do wait a little bit, but eventually I am going to make action and, and take action. And the action might be to choose not to do something or not to move. Right. But that's also action to choosing not to. Yeah. Choosing not to is taking an action as well. And so it can be a powerful option to sit there in the mystery for a while and breathe, be mindful, and not do anything. We'll talk more about this after a break. Please stay tuned. You're listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. I want to give you Naz's website slowly so you can spell it out. So it's N-A-Z-B-E-H-E-S-H-T-I.com. NazBeheshti.com. Maybe just Google pause, breathe, choose, and her name. You should immediately find your site, the book, and everything else you need. So you're listening to High Energy Health. We'll be back after a break. Please stay tuned. We'll join you again shortly. Hi, and welcome back to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. My guest today is Nash, Naz Beheshti. I'm going to go ahead and spell out her name and her website again for you. It's N-A-Z-B-E-H-E-S-H-T-I, NazBeheshti.com. And her new book is called Pause, Breathe, Choose. I'm saying it slowly, so I'm pausing <laughs> and breathing and choosing to become mindful and now, as one of the real gifts here you're giving us is that you're integrating your spiritual practice with your everyday life and your corporate work. Most people see these things as totally separate. They'll, they'll go away and do a retreat or they'll go away and maybe do a, a course with a teacher. And then there's work and they really don't 
see the two as having much of a connection, but you're able to integrate them in your own life, it sounds like, effectively. Absolutely. I mean, in order to do well, you must be well. That was a very profound lesson I learned from my first boss and mentor, Steve Jobs. And, you know, he was very mindful of his self-care and well-being. And the more I take care of myself, the more I encourage my clients to take care of themselves, the better they feel, the more productive they are, the more clarity they have, the more creativity they have. And they're just, they're more engaged and they're thriving at, you know, work and in life. So they're definitely not um, separate, they're interconnected and all areas of our life are interconnected. So how we show up in one area is going to impact another area. So if we're stressed you know, at work, we may come home and bring that stress to our family, for example, and vice versa. So it definitely is it behooves everyone to take care of their total well-being so that they can perform at the top of their game in all areas of their life. Yeah, they're all interconnected. I know years ago, I used to work like most people do, and then I'd come up at the end of each day, talk to my wife, and of course, I'd have solved a bunch of problems, good things would have happened at work, and then there were always a few problems, though, left over till the next day that didn't get solved, mm -hmm. and so I, they'd be on my mind, I'd be weighing them, and of course, our brains have this negativity bias, so I would be thinking, mulling about these things that weren't working, I'd share them with my wife, and it's like things I was worried about. And so day after day, I was coming home and telling her about all the problems at work. And so after a few years, she thought my work was just a terrible place to be. I would, and I realized I was giving her a totally skewed picture. So I said one Monday, I said, you know, I'm going to share my only my the good things that happened today at work with my wife. And I've got to do that. And I just tell about all the great stuff going on. And I leave, leave the problems, which she couldn't solve for me anyway. And she then... <laughs> Kind of much more balanced view of things, and but it really had a big effect on our evenings and our relationships. So, wow, it's powerful that you have people pay attention to all the different parts of their lives. Yeah, and one thing I would encourage, I I'm a big proponent of having a gratitude practice, a daily gratitude practice. Some people, you know, like to write it in a journal or you know, however they express it could be, you know, whatever's best for them. The way I express it is at the dinner table. So I ask my husband what he's most grateful for in that day. And he asks me, so we share our gratitude for the day at the dinner table, because like you said, it's, it's actually very easy to bring all, you know, the negative aspects that happened at work and life and whatever, because that's the stuff that you're still trying to figure out and problem solve. But and then like your wife thought it was all negative, but really, like you said, it was a skewed, skewed vision of it. But bringing gratitude not only, you know, brings positivity to the dinner table and to your relationship, it also is linked to, to happiness, greater happiness and elevates your mood, you know? So I, I would highly encourage that as well to, you know, perhaps ask your wife what she was most grateful for and you as well share and, and bring that to the dinner conversation. Yeah, that's what I think was a framing question. So you put that frame around the dinner, dinner conversation, frame around that close emotional connection, and then give it that frame. And that is a frame that promotes positivity. You also talk a bit about prana. For those of the listening who might be unfamiliar with prana, what it is, just go ahead and describe what it is and why it's important. Prana is a Sanskrit word for breath and life force. And it's really our vital energy that it keeps us engaged and energized at work and in life. But 
prana can become blocked by our stresses, by our, you know, fatigue, uncertainties, challenges, whatever the case by, you know, any negative state, it can become blocked. And so when, you know, our prana is flowing freely and we, you know, are managing our stress and we um, have built resilience to be able to, you know, tackle life's adversities, then our free flowing prana is optimized and we are able to really perform at the top of our game and be fully energized at work and in life. And how does that prana feel to you personally? To me personally, I experienced this when I uh, started my yoga practice, vinyasa yoga, which is is very uh, fluid and dynamic. And so I felt a a very openness and lightness and centered and very grounded feeling at the, at the same time. So for me, I can tell immediately if, if my prana is blocked when I'm stressed or, you know, stuck feeling stuck, you know, literally your prana, the energy becomes stuck somewhere in your body and you could even feel it. Sometimes it comes, it shows up as like, you know, lower back pain or aches or pains in your body. You know, if you're really in tuned with your body. And so when it's optimized and flowing freely, I feel like I'm in the flow. I feel like I'm unstoppable. You know, I'm feeling great. (laughs) And so your own subject of feeling of well-being is your guide to being in the flow and having that prana moving through you? Yes, yes, yeah. It It's basically when you um, optimize that prana, you are also in order to optimize it, you you have to make those mindful choices, right? Because again, if you're on autopilot and just making choices from your default autopilot state, you aren't optimizing your life, your prana, your life force, your breath, you know, part of pause, breathe, choose that breath is also helping re-engage with your prana, your breath, your life force. Yeah. And uh, that that universal life force of which we are a, a little individual part. So it's what's connecting us to that that much larger set of realities. And living as a as a subset of that reality, living as a node of that larger reality, is just it's amazing because it gives your local reality and your local existence and your local life so much meaning to be hooking up to that larger life force that we all participate of. of. So Absolutely. powerful to live life in that perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about your relationship to Steve Jobs, who was your mentor, who you worked with. That was a pretty amazing thing to have that be one of the very first things you ever did professionally was Mm -hmm. to work with the founder of Apple. And I think we'll probably take a break soon and then really cover it in more detail in the next segment. But I just really enjoy your insights about how you got there, what it was like, what lessons you learned, and um, all of the, the, the ways in which that affected both you and others. So we'll go to a break right now, I think, before we cover that. You're listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. For more about Nas and her work, go to her website, nasbeheshti.com, or grab a copy of her book, Pause, Breathe, Choose. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. Each week on the show, I bring you the leading edge of health, well-being, and happiness, along with tools you can use in your own life. So here we're explaining the importance of 
mindfulness and about how mindfulness is as close as taking that pause, feeling your breath, noticing that you're part of something larger, that energy of prana that is there in the universe, that's there in your body. If it gets blocked or if it's not flowing, you feel it and you feel it when it is flowing. That state of flow, literally, where you feel at one with your actions, with your mind, and with something greater than yourself. So I really encourage you to take that pause, take that breath, and then make a habit of, of knowing that mindfulness is as close as your next breath and every breath. And when you feel hurried or rushed or concerned, just give yourself the gift of that breath. Practice that. That can change everything. You then make much wiser decisions, and then you act more effectively in the outside world. Now, as I'd like to have you share how you first came to work with Steve Jobs, what you learned from him, what it was like working at Apple. Sure. So my first job out of college was working for Steve at Apple. It was kind of um, happenstance. It was actually by accident that I got the job and was really hired on the spot by Steve. So I had to accept. I just thought it would be an opportunity of a lifetime, even though that is not that was not my intention, which just goes to show that sometimes you think you have everything planned out, but something else, you know, another opportunity presents itself. And if you choose to go in that direction, it may feel, you know, it was a little bit, it was very unplanned, very spontaneous, very surprising that I ended up in his office. But because Apple is such an innovative brand and Steve is, is an iconic visionary, I just felt like I couldn't say no to the opportunity. So I was his EA at Apple and Pixar and working for him was a very very profound and highly influential experience for, for me and, and my life and career. Didn't realize it at the time. In hindsight, it's when I was able to connect the dots and realize that he really taught me by example that um, well-being drives success. And it seems you know simplified, but it's actually not because as we were talking before, when we are not taking care of ourselves, when our prana isn't flowing, when, you know, we don't get proper sleep, we don't have fulfilling careers, um, we aren't eating well, we don't have healthy relationships, all of that holistic approach to well-being is out of sync, then we're not going to be able to show up as our best self. And, you know, look at Apple today, look, look how he went back to Apple and created it to be the company that it is today. And so he really taught me so much in that, you know, period of time that I was with him. And I am forever grateful for that experience. And, and he was the inspiration behind my book, actually, because he appeared in a very vivid dream one night and told me that I need to write this book about how my first job at Apple working for him really shaped my whole career and life. And it truly did. Tell us a story about how it did that, that you, a really memorable story about him and about how that was influential for you. One eye opener, which seems kind of small, but it was profound for me was one day I decided to 
surprise Steve with a healthy option for dessert, which was an oatmeal raisin cookie, because I always made sure he got his healthy, you know, like avocado rolls and vegetarian meals so that he could sustain his clarity and energy for the day. But one day I thought, let me surprise him with a, you know, oatmeal raisin cookie from Whole Foods and thinking it's a healthy option. And I later on that day found the entire cookie, not even with a bite taken out of it in his trash can. So I realized that my version of gar was my version of healthy was his version of garbage, quite literally. And that was kind of a, a red flag for me to kind of wake up and, and think, reassess how I'm treating myself and my body. Because at that time I was young and I was my whole attention and focus was on Steve. That was my job. That's what he hired me for. But Ironically, the day I started was the day he dropped the I for interim CEO and came back to Apple as official CEO. But on that same day, it seemed that I dropped my own I, which was myself and my self-care. And I just did, I was dismissive. I neglected my own needs. I was young. So luckily I have good genes and I was, you know, had energy and all that, but definitely don't recommend that. And as you get older, your body and mind are not as forgiving when you don't treat it properly and with respect. And so it was very eye opening for me to see, you know, one of the most iconic visionaries, a legend, Steve Jobs, um, you know, take care of himself so well and be so passionate about this company that he was creating. And, and I really took those lessons and took basically the method of taking a holistic approach and creating my own method, the MAP method, based on what I learned from him, based on my own personal experience, dealing with stress and burnout in companies, even when I worked for him, and then, you know, moving forward at other companies as well. And, you know, want to now help people who are also on the verge of, you know, burnout or feeling stress and just help people build that resilience so that they could show up as their best self and be the CEO of their well-being, which Steve was definitely. And rigorous about it too, as we mentioned in the first segment that he didn't even take one little bite of the cookie. <laughs> <laughs> Tossed it in the garbage right away. <laughs> no leeway in terms of his own self-care. And it, yeah, it's just worth being that rigorous. And you see monsters and they don't argue with themselves. They don't have that 1% of doubt or they don't, just, they don't deviate a little bit now and then. They're just really super clear about where they're going, who they are and how their life is going to work with them. And it's inspiring to have that, that kind of clarity, which few of us have, because there's so many messages. I mean, how do you deal with all the conflicting messages from the mass media about this diet, that diet, this exercise program, this coaching program, there's just so much bombarding you all the time. Like, how do you even sift through it all to decide what's, what's right for you? That's an excellent question. And I actually dealt with this when I was going to my holistic health school, where they taught us over 100 different dietary theories. And midway through, they're like, are you confused? Good. That's where you're supposed to be is confused right now, because all these dietary theories, all the different diets are all contradicting each other too. So what I learned is that we have to really tap into that bio individuality theory where, you know, one person's, you know, food could be another person's poison or one person's lifestyle or, you know, habit could not work for someone else, right? So it's about experimenting with what you think might work for you and see how it goes. If it works great, if not tweak it a bit, that's, that's like a big part of my coaching program is that I don't have cookie cutter programs, um, corporate wellness programs or executive coaching programs, because it's very tailored to what that individual's lifestyle goals and needs are. 
as well as uh, on an organizational level when I do uh, company programs. And so it's about discovering that what is right for that person or that company as a whole. And so I know for me, I am very, you know, keen on taking an explorative action. And again, just trying rather than being stuck, like, oh, there's too many options. I don't know where, because you could be, you know, get analysis paralysis and just like get stuck with all the options and not know what to do. So just try something, but try it very small. Like don't turn your whole life upside down overnight. Just start really small and try one thing, see how that goes. And then just kind of piggyback off that once that becomes a habit and it works for you, piggyback off that so that it's not overwhelming because alone that could be stressful and overwhelming on its own by trying so many different things at once. Plus you don't know if you're trying too many things at once, you don't know which one is actually, you know, benefiting you or not because you're mixing too many things in the mix. Right. So you have to do it one at a time. Yeah. And then put together a, a program that works for you, works for your lifestyle, works for your age, works for your demographic, your family, everything else going on around you. And I think yeah, many people just, just opened the, I was at a friend's house many years back and I wanted a glass of water. So I opened the kitchen cabinets to find mm -hmm. a glass and his entire kitchen cabinet was full of dietary supplements hundreds and hundreds of one. He'd read about one, he'd buy it, then he'd buy another one. And I mean, and of course there's there's a supplement of the of the day. Goodness. How did yeah. your friend know which one was working or not if he was doing, <laughs> he or she was doing all of them at once? <laughs> Yeah, you have no idea. And so I, I never, never did find the water glass. I went thirsty. <laughs> we'll come back right back after a break. Thanks for joining me. You're listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. For more on Naz's work, go to her website, Naz Beheshti. That's N-A-Z-B-E-H-E-S-H-T-I.com. And check out her new book, Pause, Breathe, Choose. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back. My name is Dawson Church. You're listening to High Energy Health. Please do join me each week on the show because we bring you the leading edge of health wellness, creativity, and happiness with an emphasis on techniques you can use in your own life. Things you can apply to turn the inspiration you get here into action and really move the needle on your own well-being. For more on Naz's work, go to her website, nazbeheshti.com, and that's N-A-Z-B-E-H-E-S-H-T-I.com. And her book is called Pause, Breathe, choose. Naz, when I was looking at your biography, I was intrigued to see that you're focused in terms of your service work on children in Haiti. And that's very near and dear to my heart. I actually helped sponsor a mission to Haiti after the 2010 earthquake to work with, with the more than 250,000 children who lost their parents in the earthquake. And wow. so um, I'm just curious how Haiti came to be on your radar, what you do there, and why it called to you and what, what you're up to there. Yeah, well, Gosh, that's so wonderful that you're also doing such great work in Haiti as well, because they really need it. And I feel like they're kind of the unforgotten, you know, the forgotten children of Haiti. They just kind of slipped through the cracks, even pre-earthquake. And then 
even worse after the earthquake. And what happened with us is that pre-earthquake back in 2009, I was sitting at the W Hotel in Atlanta, visiting Atlanta, Georgia with some friends. And we were all just sitting around having a cocktail and feeling very unfulfilled in our jobs uh, in corporate America and wanted to do something to make an impact and, and to help people. We started narrowing it down to who do we help? What do we do that's gonna be helpful valuable, create impact and meaning, and also fulfill, fulfillment, right? And so we decided that the most vulnerable population are children. And so then we wanted to go help the most vulnerable children. Where are they? So they're vulnerable children everywhere, right? But the, the highest infant mortality rates in the Western hemisphere we found was Haiti. And that's how we chose Haiti, because we wanted to go to the poorest of the poor, where they needed us most. And we wanted it to be in the Western hemisphere so that we can you know, be close to it to go um, often. And that's why we chose Haiti, again, pre-earthquake, based on our research, we felt there was such a need. And then the earthquake happened shortly after that. And that just solidified our decision. And we moved forward very quickly after the earthquake. So many people think this Rise to Shine is the, the name of our charity or school. They think it, it was real earthquake relief, but it was actually prior. And we opened the doors in 2010, actually on 10 10 2010, October 10th, 2010. And it was the most, you know, amazing experience to open those doors and see the smiling faces of the children and the, the parent, the mothers, they're all single, single family homes, and they didn't actually have homes, they came from tent cities. And just off the side of the road, we really took the course of the poor, we have 70 children in our school, we age six months to five years. They're from the most impoverished communities in, in Haiti. And we provide, you know, food and healthcare, you know, healthcare checkups monthly and schooling. So there's teachers teaching them there and trying to give them education and hope for a better future. And do you visit there yourself occasionally? Once a year, one of where my friends and I are part of the board, the school is fully functioning and running through the local community because we wanted to provide jobs to the local community as well. We go there once a year to help recruit new kids for this, the beginning of the school year in September. However, it, the condition has been so dangerous the last couple of years. It's been difficult for us to go, but we have recruited local Haitians to go in and check for us. And and, and make sure everything's running smoothly and get the new recruits for the children, again, the poorest of the poor, to join Rise to Shine. Wonderful. Yeah. And uh, just being involved with efforts like that, having some form of service in your life is so, so vitally important and making time for that to donate, to give time, to give creativity, imagination, expertise is just a powerful, powerful thing to do in your life and service. Service is just one of those parts of life that we are all poor unless we're serving. <laughs> I completely agree. I, I think serving is the greatest fulfillment. I mean, even my work as an executive coach, I'm serving. I want to serve and create meaningful impact. And what better way to do it with the people who are the most vulnerable or in need, who don't have the most fortunate environment or upbringing, you know, they need our help. And so it's vital to help those less fortunate. It also really strikes me as I meet, talk to, interact with people 
who are immensely privileged, how many of them are suffering. I'm sure you find this with your clients that sometimes people look so good from the outside. People are in my workshop sometimes and they, you know, they're just on the outside, everything looks great. They're they're just they're healthy, they're wealthy, they're 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 successful, and yet they start talking, and my heart goes out to them. I realize, and as they suffer so immensely, I'm sure you find that too. Absolutely, because some of those people, not all, but I have found that they are trying to validate themselves and their success and happiness externally through materialistic items or other people's validation. And that joy, that fulfillment needs to come from within and when you serve, right? And so when you're not serving that higher purpose of what truly, you know, makes you happy, it's very hard to be fulfilled. I mean, deep down, it's, it's not sustainable or fulfilling to get your happiness, attain happiness, seek happiness from external validators and people. Yeah. And of course, if you have that internal source of validation and you aren't looking for it on the outside, if it's self-generated, then you always have it. Nothing can ever take it away from you. It's not like any, you mentioned resilience a few times and no one can take it away from you. It's indestructible because it's in you, you are it. Nas, thank you so much for your wonderful words, your wonderful wisdom, your book, your work. It's just been a privilege to connect with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dawson, for having me on your show. It was a pleasure to be here. Well, your energy has touched and really made an impact on me and others too. And I know you're just getting started. So thank you again. Thank you. You've been listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. Please join us next week for another exciting episode. Till then, be happy, stay healthy, and love yourself. Thank you.